0: Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus chapter number 3, Exodus chapter number 3. This takes us out into the desert to a special experience that Moses had at the burning bush. I'm sure even our children here this morning are familiar with this story. And we pick it up in verse number 7, right after that experience. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. I want you to notice those words, I know their sorrows. Some sermons are difficult to preach for various reasons. Sometimes the subject itself is difficult. You know, just about the time you think maybe you've really mastered a certain part of the Bible, all of a sudden the Spirit of God shows you there are depths to a particular subject or topic that that you've never gone to before and so sometimes there are things that are very difficult to to understand sometimes sermons are hard to preach because of the makeup of the congregation you know i've often said the most difficult people to to preach to or teach or to relate to are the young children sometimes we think well you know uh so-and-so wants to be a Sunday school teacher, we'll just put them with the preschoolers or the first graders or something. You know, anybody can teach them. You know, that's the way a lot of people think. Let me tell you, that's the most difficult class actually to teach if you're going to do it right. It's really difficult to get things down on their level. And so sometimes... Sometimes it's hard for a preacher whenever you're dealing with a particular congregation. It might be people that are not necessarily young. It might be that they are elderly. I mean, very elderly. It might be that they are infirmed in some way. They have difficulties understanding, remembering, or relating. And so that can make it difficult. Sometimes sermons are difficult to preach because of the preacher's shortcomings, the message, who said that? <laughs> it hits home, you know, whenever the service is over and people are going out the door and somebody say, boy, you really stepped on my toes today. Well, I want you to know uh, before it ever gets to you, it's already got to me. But, But there have been a lot of times that I've had difficulty with certain sermons because I knew I knew that that I had not lived up to God's expectations in those areas and so it makes it very difficult. Sometimes it's not necessarily a difficulty in my life, sometimes maybe it's because the subject is unpopular. You know whenever you really stand against sin and you really preach the truth and you want to do what's right some people get the idea that the preacher just loves chewing people out, you know. He just loves getting in their face and and uh, and, and rebuking them. Uh, le- let me tell you something right now: any preacher that loves his congregation does not enjoy doing that. We we've spanked all eight of our children, but I've got to tell you. It was never something I enjoyed doing. It was something they needed and I did, but I didn't enjoy it. And sometimes sermons are difficult to preach simply because the subject matter is unpopular in the sense that you know people are going to have a difficult time in accepting what you have to say. And on and on the list goes. But sometimes a message is difficult to preach because there is so much material and that's the way it is this morning we think about the story of Moses and think about Israel and their situation my we could just we could spend hours studying about this I remember years ago when I was preaching a lot of revival meetings and back then it was a very common thing in fact in most places we had both day services and evening services So we'd have a service, say, at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, another service that night. And over and over again for several years, I used a series of five messages that I would bring during the week in the morning that had to do with Israel in the wilderness and that experience. There is a lot to be said about it. But this morning... I want to narrow your focus down to this one, little, this one little bit of information that relates to that. And I don't want to just assume that everybody is familiar with the subject under discussion. And, and for that reason, I will give you a quick account of what was going on. Israel, remember Israel is God's chosen nation. This is the nation out of all of the other nations that is to represent Him. This is the nation that was established for His glory. And now we find His beloved people enslaved in Egypt. And that, of course, is a type of the world. They got down into Egypt as a result of, of, of their father Jacob. It was through Jacob that they entered into that country where they ended up in bondage, just like it was through our father, Adam, that we are born into this world in spiritual bondage. And here we find that that eventually, look in chapter 2, eventually, out of the depths of their misery, they cried out to God. Verse 23 And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and made, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now, so far we could just sum this story up in a few brief words. God saw them, and God knew what they needed, and God cared about their situation And God could help, and God was willing to help. And in all of this, we see a picture of our Savior's sympathy. Here we see a picture of divine deliverance. And that's what I want you to think about this morning, divine deliverance, God delivering people out of bondage. There's four things I want you to notice this morning. First of all, the fact that God is conscious of their problem. Notice verse 7 again, "...and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people." Notice who the speaker is. The Lord said. That ought to get your attention. doesn't make any difference what Brother Stone says. It's what God says. What the Bible says is more important than what I say about the Bible. And so it says, the Lord said, and keep in mind, every time you open the Bible, every time you read His Word, God is speaking. And the world is what it is simply because the world refuses to listen to God. We think about the horrible condition this world is in and we wonder, how did this happen? How is it that people can be so cruel One to another. How can they be so depraved as to do some of the things they do? It's all because they refuse to listen to God. That is the root of man's problem. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and it's still the same problem today. The speaker is God himself. The Lord said. Notice the subject, though. It says here, the Lord said, and it says, "...the affliction of my people." The affliction of my people. God's eyes are always upon his people. He counts the very hairs upon their head. He puts their tears in a bottle, records their name in a book. God knows everything there is about them. And notice the surety of the message. He says, I have surely Now remember, this is God speaking. Titus 1 2 says that God cannot lie. This is God speaking, so what he says is absolutely, without a doubt, the truth. Here is Israel in bondage. They are fearful, and they feel at this point as though God has forsaken them, that God has forgot all about them. Now, that wasn't the case, but that's the way they feel. So this is what God is dealing with, with their feelings. And He is keenly aware of everything in their life. And I'm telling you, just knowing that God is conscious of our problem is a great help in us dealing with it. You never have a problem God doesn't know about. He is conscious of everything going on in your life. No doubt most everybody here at some point in time, you've said, you know, I I, nobody, understands. nobody understands what I'm going through. You know, no, no, nobody understands me. Yes, there is someone that understands. There is someone that knows everything about you. He is conscious of your problem. But notice, not only was he conscious of their problem, but he had compassion for them in their plight. Notice what he says, verse 7 again, I know their sorrows. Listen, this changes everything. This goes beyond knowing. We all know that God is omniscient. That is, that God knows everything. But this is beyond that. God is making this personal. I know their sorrows. You see, he's not only conscious of the problem He's concerned about their plight. Remember again, this is God speaking. He cannot lie. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but do you realize that God is the only one who can truly, honestly make this statement? Notice, he says, I know their sorrows. You can't say that. Man cannot say that. You do not know how another person really feels. Now, you think you do. But you don't. Not really. You say, well, but I've gone through the same experience they did. You know, I lost a loved one or I had this problem. I had that same surgery. I know exactly what they're going through. No, you don't. You don't know how they feel. You went through the same surgery. You lost a loved one like they did. You suffered through a divorce like they did or whatever it might be. But pain affects everybody in a different way. You, you, you see, we're all made up different, and the very thing that that terrifies one person thrills another person. I, I don't know whether we have any rock climbers or not, but you ever watch those guys that do it, what, the freestyle? They don't use any rope or anything. they climb up the side of a upside of a mountain uh, uh if, if we have any of those folks next time you go invite david myers to go with you he he loves heights he would love that don't don't leave him out whenever you plan the trip send an invitation to david oh, <laughs> well if you know david you know he doesn't like ladders or anything you know above four or five feet on the ground and uh So if he ever gets after... me, I better not go there. You do know he's a police officer, right? Now you know how to get away. You, You see, that kind of stuff thrills some people and it terrifies the rest of us to think about hanging up there on the side of a cliff. Now... What I'm saying is, regardless of what it is in your life, you don't know how it affects another person. And it's so very important that we understand this because, listen, if we don't, we're going to go through our life misjudging people, and that's not only unfair, it creates a lot of problems. Because there are people that assume that because somebody is not in church that, well, they're backslidden or they don't love the Lord or they're mad at the preacher or they don't like me or something. We we jump to conclusions and make assumptions about people when we have no idea what they're going through. Amen. It's not fair for you to make those kind of judgments about anybody. I, I, well, Bev could tell you better than I could, but when I started preaching, I... Listen, I I had a lot of things wrong in my mind, what my way of thinking. The list is too long for me to go into here. And uh, but anyway, I was very critical of people that missed church. And Bev can tell you there's times that she went to church that I mean she was out on her feet. She was ill or whatever it was, and she knew that it was going to bother me if she didn't go anyway. So we loaded up all of the kids. She got them all ready. She took them to church. She was sick as a horse. But she went anyway and didn't say anything about it or anything, all because she knew that I would get upset. And and, and she, she was right. I let things like that upset me. I just assumed that, boy, you know, if you're breathing, you ought to be there. And, and let me tell you, God... God has made a drastic change in my life. I don't judge anybody like that anymore. I'm, and, and I'm telling you the truth. You tell me you don't feel good, you don't feel like... You know what? I believe you. I, I don't have any right to do anything else. Somebody says, well, you know, I just couldn't make it. I, th- this problem or that problem, uh, I'm going to leave it there. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, but you say people to take advantage of you. They'll, you know, they'll run roughshod over you. They'll deceive you. Well, God don't take care of that. If that's really what's going on, just leave it with God. He'll take care of that. I don't need to worry about that. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. While it is extremely important to the welfare of this church body that we stop judging one another because we think that we know how they feel, on the other hand, it is even more important that you understand that God really does know how you feel. Whatever it is that you're going through. Imagine where we would be if God didn't care. Wow. I mean, listen, the hope of Israel was based upon the fact that God cared. That old song says, He'll understand and say well done. And he really does understand because Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a high priest who is in touch with our feelings, one that has sympathy for us. You see Jesus when you talk about going through what somebody else goes through, Jesus suffered hell for every man, woman, boy and girl that's ever lived. No one can even begin to imagine the amount of suffering that Jesus Christ went through because all you do is look at the physical part and you can't see the spiritual part of the suffering that he endured for all of mankind. And it says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God has compassion for your plight. God is conscious of your problem. Not only that, but in this we see also God's capable to perform or to protect or provide whatever it is that's needed. You see, His consciousness of their problem, His compassion for their plight will only get you so far if God's not capable If God is some puny, scrawny God that's not able, think about it. Oh, he he knows what you're going through. He's conscious of that. And he cares. It breaks his heart to see you suffering like that. He doesn't want that. But poor little thing, his hands are tied. You know, he wants to help you, but he really can't. Satan has overpowered him or you won't cooperate with Him. I'll tell you, you don't ever have to worry about that whenever it comes to the Lord, because the Bible says He is able to do exceeding and abundant above all that we could ever even ask or think. He goes way beyond anything that you and I can even begin to imagine. All things are possible with God. He is capable to perform whatever it is that needs to be done. So whenever he says to Israel, he says, I see where you are. I understand your situation. I've seen the affliction of my people. Notice, I know their sorrows. God doesn't stop there. He is assuring them of the fact that he is perfectly capable in meeting their needs. And I say that because of the fact that he makes the promise that he's come down to deliver them. And that brings us to the choice that God makes to provide. Notice in verse number 8, he says, I am come down to deliver them. Think about it now. Knowing, caring, being able, all of that is meaningless unless there is a willingness to do so. God could have said, look, I am conscious of your problem I have compassion for your plight. I'm fully aware of that. It breaks my heart that you're in that condition. And I have the ability to help you, but I'm choosing to do otherwise. No, God is able and God is willing. I've often said, you know, I'm convinced that God wants to do far more for us than what we allow Him to do he's able and he is willing and listen believing that is the key to you living in peace with your problems and that's that's where our problem is so many times you know we want to blame God or somebody else look don't blame God if you don't believe God God said to Moses he said I've come down to deliver my people Now, I want you to notice something very important. Look at verse number 10 now. Verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Wow. God has gone from talking about Israel to getting right down to the nitty-gritty. And he says, now, look, I'm conscious of the plight of the problem I care about it. I can do something about it. And he says, uh, I want to send you. You see, this story not only shows what God can do for a nation, it shows what God can do through a person. The story of Moses is so amazing. His life is divided up into three parts each consisting of 40 years, the first 40 years of his life. He is a somebody. Why, his his grandpa's a king. I mean, man, he is in a position where he is trained in all of the educational institutions and what have you and, and, and learning far above anybody else. He has everything at his fingertips. kind of like I remember when I was in high school and those boys was able to drive, you know, their parents bought them a 57 Chevy, you know, and I thought, this isn't fair. I'm driving a 50 Oldsmobile and they got a 57 Chevy and, you know, look, it, boy, hey, Moses had all of the advantages, all of them. I wanted a motorcycle jacket. I, I didn't have the money to buy a leather jacket. I... I wanted motorcycle boots I finally got some motorcycle boots and a fake jacket and all of that but i but think about having it all at your fingertips. He did first forty years he's a somebody the second forty years he's a nobody. He's out there standing attending a bunch of stinking, smelly sheep out out there in the wilderness forty years. Well, he's 80 years old now. I guess, you know, I guess in my life just wasted away 40 years out in the wilderness. But God, that last 40 years in the wilderness, God took a nobody and made him a somebody. He said, Moses, he said, I've looked down and I see my people. I see what their problem is. I, 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 I am concerned about them. I am going to deliver them and I'm going to send you to do it. Now remember, this story started with God sending a baby. And now that baby is an old man. He doesn't have any speaking skills, at least in his own mind. He's not eloquent of speech. He is scared to death. And yet God used him to deliver Israel out of bondage through the wilderness and right up to the door of the promised land. Don't expect God to do something for you unless you're willing to let Him do something with you. So many times we, you know, we, we pray and we say, Oh, dear God, help our nation. Lord, turn us around. Meet our needs. Spare America. But we don't make any effort to make it any different than what it is. Oh, Lord, we want you to bless our church. We want to see it grow. We want to see souls saved. We want to reach out around the world and help missionaries and all of those things. But when it gets right down to it, we don't want to let God use us to do that. Now, I want you to notice what God said to Moses. Verse 10, notice every word here. First of all, he says, come. Now, this is a call, a call to leave something. If you're going to respond to that call to come, then you've got to leave something. You've got to go somewhere, and you've got to do something. So he says, come, but notice then he says, now. This is 400 years after they entered into their enslavement in Egypt. 400 years! And it's 40 years after Moses decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to deliver these people. And he killed the Egyptian and then ran for his life. And listen, it never works out when you take things into your own hands. And it was after Israel cried out, and that's why God says, Come now. Now, finally, the time has arrived for God to leap into action. Now the time has arrived for Moses to fulfill his calling and do something now. Not tomorrow, not a week from now, not later, now. Whenever God is speaking to your heart, He expects a response now, not later. So many times I think the devil gets the victory because he convinces us that although God is convicting us about something, we'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it whenever we go home. That's why you don't see folks up here praying. That's why you don't see people with tears in their eyes. You don't see people going to their brothers and sisters and confessing their faults because we always want to deal with it later. But God says now, come now. But notice, He says, come now, therefore. 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 Anytime you see the word therefore, you want to look back and to see what it is Therefore, What's he talking about? Come now, therefore. Well, for one thing, because of what God pictured, that is the bondage of the people. They need you. Come now, therefore. Your people are in slavery. They're suffering. They're miserable. Come now, therefore. Not only what God pictured, but what God promised. God says, I want you to come and and deliver them. I'm going to use you. And not only that, but because of what God had proven there at the burning bush, He proved who He was and what He was able to do. And because of what God purposed, He says, Come now, therefore. I have a purpose and a plan, and you are a part of that plan, and then notice he says, Come there now, therefore, I will send thee. Somebody wrote a book. I've never read it, but I remember the title. It says Here am I Here am I send Aaron. Well you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the attitude that Moses had. He was scared to death. He, He he tried everything he knew to get out of this. And God wouldn't let him off of the hook until finally, finally, he submitted himself to the Lord and allowed God to use him. What we need today, we need people like Moses that's willing to be used of God. We need people like Isaiah. You remember Isaiah? Here in chapter number 6, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up And oh, what a picture he gives. But then he says in verse number 8, Also I heard, I didn't just see the Lord, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. We live in a world that is in hard bondage to a cruel taskmaster. Those that are unsaved, the Bible says they're taken captive by him, by the devil, at his will. They're in bondage. And God's purpose is to deliver them from bondage. And guess who God wants to use? You. And your attitude ought to be as Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. I'll go. Their needs are more important than my comfort. Here am I, Lord, send me. And no one has ever entertained that thought and made that commitment that regretted it later on. No one could ever look back on their life and say, I am so sorry that I got so involved in serving God. If you're here this morning and you're weighted down with hard trials, a heavy burden, and you think that nobody cares, I want you to understand there is somebody that cares. Somebody that knows everything that you're going through. Someone to care, someone to share. Every every burden of your heart. Listen, God knows and God cares and God wants to deliver you and God wants to use you. If you're in bondage, I pray this morning that you'll believe God and trust Him and be delivered from your sin. And if you're here, and listen... If you're here this morning and you've already been saved, please understand God wants to use you. You said, but, but Brother Stone, I, I don't have any speaking ability. There might be some young man here, and God's been dealing with your heart about surrendering to preach. Does it not bother anybody that we've gone how long now without seeing any young man saying, God just called me to preach? Didn't the Bible say we're to pray to the Lord of harvest that He'll send forth labors into the field? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? It bothers me that we don't see that happen. And I don't believe for one minute that God quit calling people to preach. I believe people quit being willing to go. Here am I, Lord, send me. It might be that God doesn't want you to be, a, to be a pastor or a missionary and sell all of your furniture and go to a foreign field somewhere. But God wants to use you because you live right smack dab in the middle of a world that is in bondage to sin. And God wants to use you to reach them. Here am I, Lord, send me. Will you make that commitment this morning while we stand together? Father, how we thank you, Lord, that you did look down from heaven, that with all that is going on in the universe, you looked down through the portals of time and you saw us in our need. Not only were you aware of our situation, but Lord, that you were so deeply concerned that you leaped into action and sent Your own dear Son to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And how we thank You that You made a way for us to escape the clutches of sin, a way that we could become a new creature. And we're so thankful for that. Now I pray this morning that we will do everything within our power that we'll yield ourselves without any hesitation, but rather that we'll act now, not sometime later, but now, because the need is urgent, because people are suffering, because eternity is long, because we are indebted. And help us this morning to surrender ourselves and allow you to use us in any way whatsoever. But we ask it all in Jesus' name, and for His sake we pray. Amen. While we sing this morning, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come?